Welcome to this week's MicroConf Refresh episode. We are looking back at the MicroConf Remote 2020 keynotes. Today, you're going to hear two separate segments. The first is called Startup Founders in Cars Getting Coffee, where Dr. Sherry Walling and I discuss founder origins. So this is about a 15 or 20 minute segment where she and I dig into a bunch of founder origin story interviews that she had done for the Zen Founder podcast. And then she pulled out four or five different archetypes of founders. It's a really fascinating story. It actually appeared in our book, The Entrepreneur's Guide to Keeping Your Shit Together. And here we spend 15, 20 minutes just talking it through and discussing what this means and, and why your origin story is so important to how you function as a founder. And after that, we're going to hear our first quick fix. So to mix things up with MicroConf Remote, we didn't just want to have keynote after keynote because it's a virtual event and to fill five hours of time with talk after talk wouldn't have been that interesting. So we called on a few folks to submit quick fixes that they pre-recorded. And these were, you know, maybe three to seven minute ideas or thoughts on how you can improve your business today. And so after we hear Startup Founders in Cars getting coffee, you're going to hear quick fix number one from Rand Fishkin, who you may know as the founder of Moz and now the founder of SparkToro. And he talks about how you can talk to your customers. So let's dive in right now to Startup Founders in Cars getting coffee, the founder origins edition, and then we'll roll right into our quick fix. This is a 2017 Volvo XC90. The XC90 is a mid-size luxury SUV manufactured and marketed by Volvo Cars since 2002, and now in its second generation. Both generations of the XC90 have won Motor Trend's SUV of the Year award in their debuts. This particular vehicle is rarely washed and comes fully loaded with cups, books, papers, and other items long since abandoned by my children. The XC90 has three rows of seats, perfect for carrying a lot of gear, a lot of kids, or both. The tachometer goes to 8,000 RPM, and the in-dash computer never fails to play the best grunge tunes of the 90s. Welcome to our remote edition of MicroConf Remote. We're not live on set, but we're actually driving around. It's Startup Founders and Cars getting coffee. We're truly remote. Am I going to get coffee out of this? No, it was just an expression. We, sorry. <laughs> that was like such false advertising. <laughs> I thought you were actually just inviting me for coffee. So I rented this Maserati here. So this is could, your Volvo. So we could drive around uh, Paris. Yeah, no, this is great. Thanks so much for, for joining me for a few minutes to chat about founder origin stories. Can I get like a rain check on the coffee? Rain check on the coffee, rain check on driving around Paris. <laughs> In a Maserati? <laughs> you made big promises. <laughs> this is amazing. So, and the entire microcom community now has my back on this. I hope. Can we edit, editor? Can we cut that part out? <laughs> so this is my lovely wife, Dr. Sherry Walling, and she is the founder of Zen Founder. She's host of the Zen Founder podcast. And she and I co-founded our family and co-wrote a book called The Entrepreneur's Guide to Keeping Your Shit Together. And what we're going to talk about today is actually a piece about founder origin stories that made it into, it really is the second chapter of the book, understanding where you come from to optimize where you're going. And I think to set the stage, um, you know, as a clinical psychologist, someone who, who works with founders, high-performing executives, CEOs, how does someone's story or their origin impact how they operate day-to-day -day and how they run companies? And, and I think the real question is, like, why should a founder listening to this care about how they were brought up, about how they were raised, about their family system? Yeah, I have a lot of conversations about this, actually, and I think because most of us who are entrepreneurs are so 
um, either future oriented or very present oriented. We kind of live in the moment. We're planning for the future. We're building something, working towards something. It can be easy for us to overlook the importance of reflecting back on our past. But um, a lot of the science that's coming out really in the last 10 or 15 years really speaks to the importance of understanding how your early life narrative might shape things as simple as your relationships, your capacity for trust, or even the way that your body responds to stress. Um, the Adverse Childhood Experiences study is, was a really, really large scale study conducted in the U.S. that looked at like health data for something like 17,000 people and found really, really strong relationships between early life adversity and things like depression, suicidality, things that you would expect, but also things like heart disease, um, number of times of types of cancer, diabetes, obesity, things like that. So I guess um, maybe a long-winded way of saying it is that your past matters a tremendous amount to your relationship to your body and to the way that you solve problems, the way that you manage stress, the way that you really respond to the life that you're living right now. Yeah, and I think that holds, certainly holds true for me. I know that the way I was brought up and the way that I was taught to deal with conflict or adversity or manage anger or all that is, or anxiety is something that I have to manage on a day-to-day basis, right, as a founder. Yeah, and it's even it's even more um, maybe nuanced than what you were taught or what you observed. It's really what got encoded into your body and the way that your DNA responded to the kinds of environment that you were exposed to as a kiddo. Right. And so... As part of, of Zen, the Zen Founder podcast, which is what on episode, is it 250 or something at this point? More, like, yeah, more than that. 254, 255, yeah. something like that. You know, you did a series of interviews for that where you talked to a, so actually multiple rounds of interviews over the course of a couple of years. It was you, kind of my summer project. Yeah. So over the course of the year, we would put out new episodes during the year and then over the summer I would sort of do a bunch of interviews at once and then have them ready to release throughout the summer that they were all founder origin stories so I did a really deep dive into lots of microcomp speakers actually Sally FD, Patrick McKenzie, Jason Cohen um, lots of folks that we know well in the community and um Heaton Shaw, Ruben Gomez yeah 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 they became really interesting conversations to just say hey tell me how you grew up like what were your first experiences of entrepreneurship what shaped you and what made it hard for you to get to where you are now. Yeah, and and as part of that, you pulled out four patterns or four kind of commonalities that a lot of the founders shared, these ambitious, um, high-achieving founders who had achieved success. And I'd love to run through those now. And in addition, I think one of the, perhaps even the more interesting part, is you then pulled out these four archetypes, these founder archetypes, um, or would you call them founder archetypes? Sure. Yeah, and and it's, it's... they're pretty cool. Like the, to tease them, it's like the golden child, the loner, the pleaser, the survivor. And so I'd, I'd love to dig, dig into those in, in just a second because you have some kind of risks or like pros and cons and how to, if you find, if you find that you resonate with this, like this is probably how you operate and, and ways to kind of optimize, you know, who you are and how to, how to get the most out of things. Right. Yeah. I think one of the things that I really wanted to drive home in the course of doing these interviews and I didn't have to make the point, the interviews made the point themselves, is there are lots of ways to become an entrepreneur. It's not like you have to have a certain kind of background or a certain type of life experience that makes you successful or not successful. And so by by looking at the interviews um, kind of thematically and pulling out different archetypes, it I think it really helped me to see how people can be successful and then also have you know, have shadow sides or have risk factors, have downsides to really whatever kind of upbringing they experienced. Cool. So what were the, before we get into the archetypes, what were those four, um, 
patterns or commonalities that you found across a lot of the successful founders that you interviewed for this Founder Origin series? Yeah, I found that um, of the folks that I interviewed, almost all of them had some kind of early life adversity. the death of a parent, a big transition, a big move, maybe right when they're going into junior high, some really big shift, a parent with cancer, um, the loss of a sibling, you know, mental illness, a parent with mental illness, a parent with substance abuse. So these are the things that might show up in that adverse childhood experiences study that I mentioned earlier, things that really disrupt the trajectory of your childhood. But in the case of these founders, the key thing that we know really from the field of psychological research, which really bore out in my conversations with entrepreneurs is that that high adversity was accompanied by a high level of support. So there was someone in that kid's life who maybe it was a teacher, maybe it was a parent, an uncle, an aunt, um, someone who saw something and just encouraged and supported and helped make kind of a safe place for that young person to continue to develop. So high adversity you know, we tend to be okay. We can tend to be resilient if we have a helpful, supportive adult around. So that's what I found in a lot of the interviews was that trend. Um, so high, high adversity, but high support. Right. That combination yeah. had to exist together. And I, I definitely found totally true to the entrepreneurial story is that people just had an inherent need to blaze a trail. Like these were kids who these founders were children who weren't necessarily super content to just roll with the rules Mm -hmm. as they were presented to them. They were people who were either trying to break the rules in sometimes like a pretty problematic way. Um, You know, Dan Martell tells some stories about breaking rules that got him in big trouble. Um, But they were just people who weren't super content with the status quo and wanted to, you know, go off trail a little bit. And that pattern persisted even when, or really began when they were young children. The third is that these were folks who were self-taught and self-led, like um, Patrick McKenzie. I love the story about him. He um, really was interested in coding. He loved video games. He wanted to write video games and make video games, but he didn't have a computer. So um, he went to the library and checked out library books about coding and started writing out code by hand. Mm. So he learned to code from books and then would just do the mental exercise mm-hmm. of coding, of compiling, of writing line. it yeah. by longhand, right? Yeah. So that's that's a unique trait, and that's kind of the entrepreneurial secret sauce: is somebody who can get themselves going, is self motivated, and is going to teach themselves. Yeah, I, I actually did that as well. Although I had a computer, but when my brother was coding, I would write it out on binder paper. I know it's like, You're it's, like when's my turn? When's totally. my turn? It was like time sharing, you know, but when I didn't know what that meant. So that was a third. What's the fourth? The last one in this one, oh man, was so important for me to reflect on as a parent. Yeah. Um, the last one is time. All of the entrepreneurs that I talked to, or the vast majority of them, had extended periods of time to tinker. Um, so one, my favorite example of this is Heathman Shaw. Um, his dad would take him, his dad was a physician, he'd take him to the hospital in the evenings when he was doing paperwork or whatever, and he'd basically hand him a screwdriver and let him loose in the, in the like, IT room, like, with yeah. all of the machines, and just be like, hey entertain yourself essentially so he then had all of this time to just I mean frankly like probably take apart computers and look at circuits and just problem solve and and I think the thing that um 
you know, is so dangerous for us maybe in our era of parenting is that a lot of kids that I know are really, really structured. Their days are really full and they don't have this expansive time to just kind of mess around in the basement and tinker and write code by hand or, or listen to their own imaginations. So I thought that was a really important take home about that, that road to entrepreneurship involves time to just sort of mess around and tinker. The first is the golden child. Second is the loner. And then there's the pleaser and the survivor. You want to maybe talk through the the golden child being mindful of time as our time is, is running short, but talk through that. And like, I don't know what you have advantages, disadvantages, things to watch out for, whatever it is you want to add context to just what the, you know, what the golden child kind of archetype is. Yeah. So archetypes take a little bit more time to explain, but I'll do my best. Um, so as you're hearing this, realize you're hearing this very sort of redacted version of this. So forgive me if it feels overgeneralized. There's a full book chapter too. It's like $4 on Kindle. The Entrepreneur's Guide to Keeping Your Shit Together. Chapter two is basically the expanded version of this. If, if you want to dig in deeper. So, um, in the course of these interviews, I realize that a lot of people come to entrepreneurship and in different ways. So one way is, is this sort of golden child upbringing experience. And this is like probably what all of us strive to provide our kids as parents. Lots of support, lots of stability, lots of um, capacity to go deep in your own interests. Like these are the parents that are out on the soccer field, like just cheering you on, bringing the snacks, like all invested in you. And I think, um, this again, highly supportive, very enthusiastic, lots of resources. And this is great for people in their entrepreneurial journey because they really, I think, develop this deep sense of confidence, this deep sense that, uh, what they think, how they see the world, that that matters and that it's something that's worth sharing or that people will generally be responsive to when they share it. So that's one of the best, um, you know, aspects if you're going into this sort of life of entrepreneurship, which can be pretty hard, is that, you know, you have this great foundation of support and belief in yourself. Um, The downside of this is that sometimes people just have very limited experience with failure. I mean, you think of the the it kid, the student council president, or the high school quarterback, or the head of the cheerleading squad. These are are kids who really have a lot of support, maybe a lot of coddling even, and they just haven't had to fight super hard, which can be a downside when you're entrepreneur and you you know you have you have things that don't work well that you have to sort through right how about the second is the loner yeah the loner is you know is maybe the kid who's in the library handwriting code this is someone whose way of seeing the world or their interests didn't necessarily align with a, an obvious peer group, maybe when they're teenagers. And so much of the development of who they became and what they cared about happened within their own, you know, their own autonomous time. Okay, there's someone in the middle of the road taking a picture of a bald eagle in a tree. So that's that's Minnesota that's moment thing. for you right now. <laughs> See if the camera catches it. There is a bald eagle in this there's tree. A, yeah. Okay, so the loner, I mean, in some ways this is a great advantage because... You're used to hearing your own voice. You're used to cultivating your own ideas. You spend a lot of time in your own head in a way that I think can really yield a lot of ingenuity and, again, a sense of confidence and a way of just knowing yourself well and trusting your own creative process. But, of course, this is a downside because as much as we like to think that we can be successful in a vacuum, networking and our relationships and our connections are incredibly important no matter what we're doing as entrepreneurs. So the downside potentially of the loner is that those early life skills in terms of how to really connect with other people, um, how to really build a network and a 
sort of a bunch of different relationships may not be as intact or as well practiced as could be helpful. And this is the one that resonates the most with me, with my upbringing, because we lived out in the middle of nowhere. We had books and computers and with no internet because it was the 80s when I was growing up. And um, I thought that my whole deal when I first started doing software, right, doing products was like, I'm going to do it all, all on my own. I don't have to answer to anyone. It was the micro, solo. It was all about being a single all by founder. Myself. No yeah. network. I didn't build that. And then it eventually I realized, oh, I was just never taught that skill. And I, I have, I've learned that over the past 15 years, but it was, yeah. a, it was a detriment to me at the start. Sure. How about the third? Yeah, the third, um, I call the pleaser. And this is, um, this is the kiddo who's growing up in a context where maybe they have a pretty hard driving parent, a parent that wants them, you know, to be that high school star athlete, but they're really more of a, a chess playing kind of kid. This is where, you know, you think of like the person who's kind of trying to overcompensate for that parent who pushed them really hard, who maybe they felt like they were just never successful enough. And I think this is in some ways, it's a tough upbringing, but in some ways it, it really helps you develop these skills of learning to read what people need. Like this is a great customer skill, right? You're learning what your customers need and how to respond in ways that um, really fit their needs. This is the kind of entrepreneur who will over deliver, who's somebody who really um, kind of understands the emotional context of what people will pay for and what they want and what they need. Um, but this is ne not necessarily someone who is able to set good boundaries for themselves, for their family, or for their business. This might be the person who's always like, yes, 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 but then drives themselves into the ground because they're not actually thinking about what's most important for them or for the growth and well-being of their business. They're other-oriented mm -hmm. in a way that's both helpful and problematic. The survivor is the last archetype that I came across, and this is the kiddo who really dealt with a lot of um, maybe aggression, violence, instability, chaos in their early life experience. And this is somebody who has potentially lots of street smarts, who really knows how to get what they need and provide for themselves, even in really, really sort of difficult situations. Um, so great entrepreneurial skill. And like, this is the person who doesn't get up, give up rather. This is, they don't give up. They're a fighter. They're a strong, strong sort of mental game. Um, but this can be problematic in the sense that um, this kind of upbringing tends to either lead to a path where people are pretty shut down emotionally, like they're just kind of machines, or they're pretty reactive emotionally. They may um, experience a lot of anger or not necessarily have had calming experiences that help their body regulate well when they're under a lot of stress or distress. So again, really hard driving, forceful, powerful, um, but maybe not always know how to wield that power in helpful, positive, productive ways. Uh, the bottom line is that no matter what upbringing you have, um, there are strengths and there are liabilities in that. So it's worth the time to just do a little bit of exploration around what you're coming to this point in your life with. What are the lessons that your upbringing taught you? What are the things that it maybe didn't teach you so well that you might need to supplement? Um, and I give some more, we give some more tips and tricks and strategies in the book if you're needing to just fill out your early life experience with some counterbalancing growth. Yeah, I mean, one of the biggest pivot points or changing points for me as an entrepreneur are when I started realizing my weaknesses and really honed in on, on my upbringing, but it was both my strengths and my weaknesses and how I handle stress and how I handle 
certain situations. Um, that was a big point of growth. Again, probably about 15 years ago is when that started, you know, and really culminated maybe five years ago. Or I'm sorry, about 10 years ago where I was like, okay. You just finished right. growing at that point? No, but I finished, I, I knew a lot more about myself. Like it was a dramatic, you know, increase. So, thank I, I'm, I'm giving you a hard time, but I do think it's helpful to realize that this kind of growth process is ongoing. Like you oh, do sure. some of the growth, you do some early childhood stuff, and then there are times when you have to revisit it because your perspective on it changes as you grow, as your kids grow, as different factors around you change. Sure. Thank you so much, Dr. Walling, for joining us today. Um, you, you owe me a coffee. Owe you a coffee <laughs> and a Maserati, it sounds like. She is sorry. at Zen Founder on Twitter, and you host the Zen Founder podcast if folks want to... Uh, to keep up with you. All right. Thanks. Have a great microconf, y'all. Thanks so much for joining us. Founders in Cars, Not Getting Coffee. I uh, enjoyed that. If you're interested in the book we kept mentioning, it's called The Entrepreneur's Guide to Keeping Your Shit Together. And chapter two of this book is, in essence, an expanded version of the conversation that you just heard. Hope you enjoyed that fun segment. It's actually a really cool visual thing because we hooked up a couple cameras in my car and Sherry and I drove around our neighborhood and, and you can see us flipping back and forth between the cameras and it looks very much like the Jerry Seinfeld comedians in cars getting coffee that we, of course, are paying homage to. So with that, let's dive in to Rand Fishkin talking about how you can talk to your customers. Howdy, I'm Rand Fishkin, co-founder and CEO of Spark Toro, uh, previously the founder of Moz and author of Lost and Founder. And I want to help you folks at MicroConf Remote uh, with one thing that you can do today that can potentially have a transformative impact on your business tomorrow and in the future. So uh, I'll show you something that's been working really well for us here at Spark Toro, which is, uh, so we have this, this free tool well, we have a free version and then a paid version. It's a, the software is a subscription, like like probably a lot of you with, at MicroConf. And um, one of the things that we do that works really well is when someone starts running their free search, right? So they say like, oh, well, my audience, whatever, uses these words in their profile, uh, software engineer, right? And they, they run that first search. They're asked to... Um, uh, sign up and put in their email. I'm, I'm logged into my account, but you get the idea. They they lo uh, they uh, have to create an account with us and give us their email and uh, that email address and that registration process means that we can shoot them a quick message. And I send them a message from my email account, right? Rand at sparktoro.com. Like it, it comes from me uh, that says, can I help you with your SparkToro account? And it's just a super short uh, email message. In fact, it, it literally says, um, can, I, can I help with your SparkToro account is the title. This we found works really well, high open rate. Uh, and it says, you know, hi, first name, saw your SparkToro sign up, wanted to offer these suggestions for your free searches. We give people 10 free searches. This is my personal email. So if you have questions or a minute to tell me what you'd like to accomplish with the tool, I'm happy to help. That's Tran Fishkin. So it looks and feels like a real email because it really is. If they send a reply, it comes right to me. I get a dozen, two dozen, sometimes three dozen of these replies uh, every day. It's it's pretty awesome. It's a fantastic way to connect with the customers and potential customers of our product and people who are using it. Get a sense for who's struggling, how, what they're trying to do and accomplish. I love this when when you're at a small scale, right? When you have... Um, a few dozen to a few hundred people signing up every month for your product, offering something for free, and then getting in touch with those folks and building those relationships. Just 
incredibly powerful. If you can find a way to do this in your software business, I think you can really move the needle on getting a deep understanding of who your potential buyers are and then taking the messaging that works, that, that's helping people uh, at a one-to-one at a -one level and translating that into what you put on pages like you know, your homepage, which we've done with SparkToro, right? This instantly discover what your audience reads, watches, listens to, and follows. That comes from those conversations. The whole how it works page, the, the video, uh, the, the graphics and explanation, it all comes from these conversations. And I, I find that uh, incredibly helpful. So I encourage you to do it with your software business as well. All right, thanks everyone. Take care, good luck. I hope you enjoyed these two segments today, this MicroConf Refresh episode looking back just a few months. Join us on Thursday for an episode of MicroConf On Air, and then again next Tuesday for the next keynote talk and another quick fix.